Born of an Era of Wellbeing podcast that brings together some of the world's most innovative thinkers to weigh in on matters concerning the future of ourselves and our planet. And to discuss the future, not as something to be predicted, but to be created. In each episode, your hosts, Erwin Laszlo and Frederick Zhao, and moderator Nora Cesar, will converse with guests from numerous disciplines to help us navigate a new worldview which derives its wisdom from a synthesis of ancient and modern, East and West, science and spirituality. From these seemingly divergent perspectives, we will demonstrate how we can create a new narrative and usher in the dawn of a better era. So, welcome everyone. Today's episode will be focusing on Protestant faith. Our guest is Deborah Runlet. Please allow me to introduce her. Deborah is a practical mystic who guides leaders and their teams in connecting soul with source. Her conviction is that the whole leader requires the whole person, body, mind, and soul. She is a Protestant with very deep roots in Celtic and French Huguenot and serves the church as a pastor and a judicatory leader. She currently serves as director of the Meeting House Home to Poets and Prophets a global community of change leaders, and is a founding steward of the Global Consciousness Institute. As a global coach and facilitator, Deborah designs journeys that weave perennial wisdom, change leadership principles, and sustainable practice toward a flourishing of people and the planet. She particularly enjoys working with interdisciplinary teams. She holds Masters of Organizational Development from Case Western Reserve University and Doctor of Ministry from Yale University. Her current research is focused on how wisdom informs global consciousness. Deborah believes that for such a time as this, we have called to collectively take a leap to a new level of consciousness that together we might thrive. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. And please allow me to introduce our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Zhao. Irvin Laszlo, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, a Verdunan philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest and recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goy Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Frederick Zhao, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network's Council of Wisdom, and founder of the prestigious Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science, as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Welcome, Fred. And I'm going to ask you to come on the stage and please talk to us about a little bit of the Protestant faith, and then we're going to move on with Deborah. Fred? Yes. Hmm. 
it's very nice to have this dialogue with you, Deborah. While we human has moved forward through many eras and now in the era of well-being, and then religion um, plays a different role in spirituality in this in this in this time. Amidst globalization, a challenge of uh, sustainability due to um, loss of ethics in the market economy. This is time that we actually are moving on <clears throat> into awakening with direct experience of spirituality <clears throat> and also a good understanding of different worldview and to find a commonality so we can take on the common uh, challenge of humanity uh, uh, against this real global realization that life is everything and that we're all connected and the quantum reality uh, which is uh, beyond our imagination that we're made of consciousness and and that uh, the rest is just appearance of solidity and form that actually we are just made of consciousness itself so in this era of um quantum science of well-being, our spirituality takes a direct experience of our true nature, our true connectedness, our true who am I? <laughs> but religions do play a role because they are practices. They have um, wisdom that accumulated. So whether religious uh, spirituality or uh, shamanic spirituality or just simply modern spirituality, they all merge into humanity and all wisdoms come into play uh, to create this one eye to weep humanity to deal with the challenge of the common commonality. So I'm very happy to discuss how we can create a new language, a new meaning to find commonality because language is nothing but shared experience. Mm -hmm. But it does define that shared experience. So we need new definition uh, for experience to have a new commonality among all humans for a human challenge and a globalized world. Thank you. I have to say, um, unfortunately, our listeners might not be able to see this, but I just want to set picture because Fred is sitting there and he has a beautiful light beam just coming down on him on the on the picture it's like consciousness is directly coming down anyway it's just you know so if you are listening you can think about that image but back to Deborah uh, I would like to ask you first and foremost about the Protestant faith um, I know that it's different from Catholic. So it's they are both Christian, but could you please tell a little bit more to our listeners about what's the differences between Catholicism and Protestant faith and how did you start on your journey? So obviously they share a common text, the Catholic Church and um and the Protestant faith. The Protestant faith is a big umbrella that encompasses many different traditions. Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Methodist, Lutheran, um, and Baptist and other traditions. But there would be three core tenets that you would find woven throughout the Protestant faith. 
that the Bible is the ultimate source of authority. It's not a human being in the role of a bishop or a cardinal or a pope. Uh, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and the priesthood of all believers, that each and every one of us has a role to play. Fred, you were talking about um, the nurture and development of a common language through our common experiences. It's been said that uh, we are spiritual beings um, that are housed in human bodies. And I think that becomes really important as we think about the Protestant faith, especially through the lens of um, Celtic spirituality. But I wanna um, actually share two pieces of wisdom. The first comes from a Yale professor, Jaroslav Pelikan, who said that tradition is the living faith of dead people. And traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. Oh. And, and so again, I'm going to say it because it's sort of hard to catch hold of. Tradition is the living faith of dead people. It means we've got to be very careful with what we do with tradition. And traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. And therefore, from a Protestant perspective, we are called to be reformed, always reforming according to the word of God. At its core, the Protestant faith is about reformation, reforming, going back to essence, beginning as we do that, a, a new cycle. And that speaks to the dawn of an era of well-being. What happens if we go back to that place of essence that we might remember who we are? There is a word that comes out of the Koine Greek, the ancient Greek um, found in scripture, Morfao, which is the root word for our word today, the transformation. And it refers to the inward and real formation of a person, that distillation down to essence that we might know at the core that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and therefore find a willingness to be transformed degree by degree until we come into that place of fullness that allows us to actually help to usher in an era of well-being. So as I shared, the, for the Protestant faith, the source of authority is scripture, not other human beings. And while that has been weaponized by the religious right, at its root, that those texts are meant to take hold of us and form us the way any ancient wise text is intended. And so I want to share, coming out of that word morfao, three Pauline texts. I labor until Christ is formed in me. For me, this is at the heart of my call as a pastor, that my work is to come alongside people who are in the formational journey that Christ might be formed in them. Paul also says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, it's important in the ancient sense to understand that mind and heart were one. In fact, in the Hebrew language, lev, L-E-V, is the word that is used for both heart and mind, and it's alternately translated in the Psalms and in other texts. 
And so we can say that we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, understanding that it is connecting heart and mind. And with that, we work collectively toward shalom, toward well-being, toward peace, toward reconciliation. And that's not just an ethereal state of being, but that is a way of being that links economically, ecologically, um, politically, toward flourishing for both people and planet. There are two more pieces that I'll just lift up at this point, because I've gone on for a bit here. Um, but with my Celtic roots, one of the things I most deeply appreciate about my Scottish roots is that understanding of the holy and the ordinary. And it presses the question, how might we listen to creation and learn from the oceans and the trees, the wind and the elements? In my roots, that sense of being earthed was essential. And it led one to what has been called thin places, where the distance between heaven and earth is tissue thin. And that, in turn, leads to an understanding of oneness, calling us to live in harmony and cohesion. There's a beautiful prayer, the prayer of St. Patrick, that begins with these words, As I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. If indeed we are to seek that place of oneness, whether we know that through the lens of a Protestant journey in faith or through global consciousness, then we're seeking the wisdom of source to guide us and center us that together we can amplify that global consciousness. And then one final piece is a practical mystic. You know, a mystic simply translated as a person who has experienced oneness, who has had the direct experience of source, or perhaps you might call it ultimate reality. And that experience is available to everyone. The challenge is that it's rarely accessed. And yet Karl Rahner, a Catholic theologian said, the 21st century Christian will be a mystic or not at all. And so when we think about um, this journey, this formational journey, I think it is to nurture the mystic in all of us. We just use a variety of language by which to describe that. That's very true. Uh, I, I always find it so interesting to learn about this. Basically, we are using different languages to describe the same thing, right? Yes. It's, it's it's so much diversity in the spiritual realm or religious or whatever we want to call it. And it's just fascinating to me how you can bring together mysticism, as you mentioned, and consciousness, perennial wisdom, and add with your Protestant roots, and then you do your work in the world. And can you share a little bit more about uh, your work? Because you said you're a steward, right? I am. Um, so my work falls into primarily uh, three domains, working at a community level, working with leaders towards system change, 
and movement building. And um, it's been said that wisdom tends to come above ground at a time when the planet is going through great changes or when consciousness is about to take a major new leap to a new place, to a new level of understanding. And so the heart of my work is intertwining the formation of the leader uh, with change leadership, with transformational um, process and skills toward global consciousness. And I do that on a local level in the creation of alternative community. Um, asking the question, what does it mean to nurture, nurture consciousness and oneness? Um, and what are those inner levels of knowing? And so we look at the formational journey on a local level and we connect it uh, for folks through the arts, through community initiatives, through uh, well wellness and well-being initiatives and farm and land. Uh, and so there is a lot of program tied to that. And we nurture two competencies, that of poet and prophet. Um, understanding that the poet helps us to express what we commonly yearn for. So what is this new language that we are collectively seeking to, um, to co-create so that we might um, begin to amplify consciousness? And the prophet leads us to action. On a leadership level, I am working with the Humanistic Leadership Academy to actually partner business school professors with social innovators that we might redesign the way that we teach university students, um, integrating that way of being, knowing, and doing. What's interesting to me is that one in three students globally are in business schools. One in three. You know, and you, and and engineering and the sci other sciences and the arts and uh, social uh, studies are the other remaining two thirds. So I think there is the opportunity to provide a, a tipping point there as we begin to work with kids from 11th grade through undergraduate level and lay a very different kind of foundation. Because um, Fred had mentioned the, the moral ethics. How do we come back to the core of our responsibility? And that brings the word steward in. And I'm a founding steward of the Global Consciousness Institute. The focus of my work with the Institute is um, mapping the terrain of global consciousness. In a sense, it's helping the field to know the field. And out of that, we hope collaboratively with Octave and other organizations across the globe to begin to build a movement. The language becomes very, very important as we nurture a field of collective intention to shift global awareness and activate to that next level of global well-being and peace. So the golden thread for me in my work is intertwining formation and transformation. Um, in the lives of leaders. And um, it's a long-term process, as we all know, but it's a journey that I am privileged to be a part of. Fred? Well, I'm already aware of Deborah's work because we are part of the same movement and also part of this Global Consciousness Institute that we're working on. 
And of course, um, I think we're weaving away from this podcast, but I think it's worth touching. You know, economics is all activity related to our desire. And this is an economic-driven world, especially market economy. And so stewarding that is very important. And for your information, family control company account for 70% of this market economy. 60% of employment and two-thirds of number of company. And um, that's why I told uh, my, my constituency is family business because I'm a family business. I told them we are 70% economy and 70% of the problem. Mm-hmm. So stewarding change uh, for humanity to do business reform towards his well-being rested on family business taking a lead. And in fact, I believe they're the only one who can do it. And so, and also align because, you know, they want to cross generation. And business school has a lot of things that is, that is just simply on the wrong track. Today, I was talking to one of a candidate that was um, interviewing on the branding team. And she talked to, obviously, she came up from business school. What's your competitive strategy? I said, there's a problem. You already see where competitive strategy has brought us. Destruction. I said, if you look at everything in humanity, it is collaboration. The human story is the one who succeed or failed to collaborate. And you want to promote business competitive, competing, and you know, at the end of the day, everybody dies. Human creativity and prosperity based on collaboration, understanding, and unity. But business school, they have some ways to go in changing the mindset. Why don't you be teaching collaboration strategy so you can add value? Because everything's about adding value. Brad, we will be um, setting a time for you to talk with the core leadership for exactly that reason. And they would actually agree with you about that. And in that context, in some ways, I don't feel like we've really gotten off track because for each and every professor involved in this movement, it is tied to their core identity and their faith is a part of that. It is the integration of body, mind, and soul. And so um, it's it's bringing us home. Yeah. Yeah, let's go back to the religious (laughs) (laughs) I mean, religion has been great thing in unifying uh, humanity. I mean, just Christians, you know, that's like, that's the biggest religion in the world. Like two billion people are Christians, right? So what is Catholic or, or Protestants or, you know, and then the second religion is Islam. Very big. And then comes the Eastern ones, like the Hindus, the Chinese, the Buddhism. So we need to go into a global reality to have languages that shares among religion and not to be stuck with the dogma, the language, but to find a redefinition of meaning. Yes. Redefinition of freedom and peace and love and 
all the things that we are so dear to ourselves but are totally misled. In the name of love and peace and freedom, we do wild things. I wouldn't say good or bad, just wild, ignorant, destructive things. So we needed to get out of get out of that now into this era of really working for a new shared understanding and shared language. And you know what? Our experience is also defined by how we name it. So, for example, you have a bunch of emotions. Um, you just don't know exactly. It's all muddled up. You just don't feel right. And the minute you name it, like, you're frustrated. Oh, you're sad. Oh, you're angry. Oh, you're restless. Whatever. Once you define the energy, it's like consciousness. Mm-hmm. Bang. You can actually settle down. Energy settles down and consolidate, now you can work with the energy. So language and definition is an important part of regulating ourselves. And ourselves is whole humanity now, okay? So we need to have new definition, new language, new understanding, so humanity can have the shared experience and shared way of regulating ourselves from I to we. I 100% agree with you. And what I find when you distill down in terms of perennial wisdom, it is the same. There are cultural distinctives that we don't want to lose, but each one carries a journey of formation that involves awakening and engaging in the trials, all those emotions you just named. And from that comes that place of illumination that in the naming, we become illumined. But what I've also found is people often stop there, and that's just the beginning. But then we have to cross that ontological gap. We have to move from illumination and letting go of that to this inner knowing that can only come often with what um, in the Christian traditions called the dark night of the soul, out of which emerges union. And then the biggest challenge yet you find that place of union and you need to go back. You need to go back into the world um, in order to actually invite others on that same journey and to bear the change that's needful, that there can be oneness, that we can co-create together and collaborate together um, toward that wholeness that deep down all of us yearn for. So I'm curious, um, as you've looked at it, do you find that same movement? And by what language would you call that movement um, of the mystical path? That awakening to engaging in trials, to illumination, to dark night, to union, and back out again. What language well, would you put? Well, you know, the form and the no form is the same thing, right? Mm. The consciousness is the essence of the form. But consciousness without the form has no definition. So the form informs the consciousness and the consciousness informs the form. So when you look at the the quantum science, they are the same. Mm -hmm. In other words, the shadow and the light is the same. And the minute you have form, you will have shadows. 
Yep. But the shadow informs the light because otherwise you don't know the light. Mm-hmm. So they're not separable. In the quantum science, the form and no form is just vibration in new expressions. The rest is all our perceptions of our own individuated consciousness. So as we united to at one, their work, and when we free, the others are freeing ourselves. When you help the others, you're helping yourself. And let's see something very practical. When you work with other people, you can be really good, but when you're working with yourself, it's really difficult to see yourself. <laughs> this is true. So as you work with other people, you see them. It becomes a mirror for you to see yourself. Mm. So to come back and working with other people in the journey is the journey itself. So what you've described is not separable, right? Yeah, is a direct experience. Yep. So when you go and you have a taste of it, you say, "Oh my God!" I had an experience like in 2013, a few months after the the Mayan calendar. I said, "All of a sudden, I have an epiphany. There is no guilt and there's no shame. It's not real." And I had 13 months of rashes because of that. Think about all the poison I'm holding in my body because of this illusion, because of the shame and guilt that I'm holding on, the toxins. And the the skin is the biggest organ. 13 months, they keep coming out of to detox. It's a process. Just because you have epiphany, your body takes time to correct. Actually, it's not more, it's not mind, body, and spirit. It's spirit, mind, and body. So, but we are so used to the body, mind, and spirit yes. that when you have epiphany in the spirit, you still have to work the spirit back out into the mind and the body. And hence the mind, body, spirit, and spirit, mind, body, that is a process of cleansing. We have, as you said, we have intellectual knowing we need to do. We have spiritual or intuitive or knowing. And then we have embodied body knowing this our neural neural wiring. These three things add together is one, the knowing, the being. To get that all clean up, it's a process between materialism and spirituality. To switch for spirit, mind and body, we work the body, mind and spirit. <laughs> And so as we come back, once we have a taste and we understand the truth, you still have to do the work of cleansing. And because we are whole, the only way we can do in this wholeness is to free others to free ourselves, to help others to see ourselves. I think it is unavoidable 
and is in many tradition that you have to do work. Let's think about it very simple. When all the work you focus on others, what happened to your ego? That's the work too. The illusion of the ego. We are not the ego. We are pure consciousness. Home. Energy vibration. It's also love. It's also freedom. It's also peace. We are everything. We just need to clean it up so, the, so that the light will illuminate and shine. So I think I uh, totally agree with you. Every religion has to do work, has to help others so we can redeem ourselves. So our ego is not on stage so we can truly see what we're made of and who we are is what we are made of. I think every religion talks that, certainly Chinese tradition core of Buddhism. Yes. So uh, to answer your question, totally agree with you, but we still need to have an explanation. We need to have a movement. You know, I'm at the World Religious Council mm -hmm. once uh, at the... Uh, a, what was that? GOE uh, conference in Japan. The GOE Peace my, Foundation, you mean? Yeah, the GOE Peace Foundation. Yes. I came to realize in that three-day seminar that the World Religious Council are tolerating each other because they need to tolerate each other. But we need more than tolerating each other. We need to unify each other. There's a type of need to do. Yeah, there's a challenge in that, in that many institutions that are on the downside of the life cycle are actually, there is the expressed mission, and then there is the mission of survival. And so part of what we're seeing here in the United States is that Protestant congregations are closing. Um, the Pew... Uh, Foundation actually estimates to the tune of 150 a month because we actually have disconnected from the heart of our call, which is that shared call um, toward flourishing, toward uh, the care and stewardship of creation, and, um, and that honoring of one another, not just simply um, putting up with one another or coexisting with one another. It's an interesting time for the institutional church, and it's an extraordinary time, I believe, for the um, for those who are committed to what I guess Wilbur would say that growing up, waking up, that we might show up, and that involves a cleaning up as well. Yeah, that makes well, me you know, sad. It sounds like <clears throat> you know. I don't know how much true, but I did watch the the two Pope <laughs> movie. <laughs> And I, I wonder what's happening in the Vatican. I will not dare to 
ponder out loud on that. <laughs> I'll stay in my own domain, but but it does speak to, um, I think on the ground, Fred, the incredible yearning to be connected with one another. And, and that's where my energy goes, to, um, to work with those who actually do understand that it is spirit, mind, body, or maybe it's even spirit, body, mind, because um, the mind, it can get so entrenched. And within that, to live into that place of consciousness. Um, I don't I know. I tell you from, the, from uh, a, a quantum science perspective, Irvin would say, the cosmos mm. is meant. Yes. Yes. So it's likely to be spirit, mind, and body. The body's expression of the neural wiring, the uh, biochemistry, mm -hmm. and also the Wi-Fi system called microtubular receptors. Yeah. But it goes direct to every cells, right? So the physiology. Well, remember those texts mm -hmm. I shared with you at the beginning to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The ancients understood it way yes. before we had any understanding of quantum science or language for it. We had understanding of it, language for it or, or the technology to study it. It's interesting. So you have, you have people like... Um, Bruce Lipton was part of the yeah. book. They talk about the biology of beliefs. Yes. Uh, we don't we don't have um, Penrose in here, but you know he's he won uh, 2019 award for how does consciousness physicalize in our body? It's a closed system. How do we get information from the cosmos? Well, he found that these microtubular receptors are Wi-Fi systems. That's when God talks to you, that's Holy Spirit get connected with you, is through this everything. Of course I know, it's quite difficult for religious people to, to kind of get the language right with each other. No, 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 it's not like that, but actually, well, okay, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but quantum science are finding out the Holy Spirit is a Wi-Fi system, but you have bad Wi-Fi. <laughs> you have to make sure the Wi-Fi system works. Or do you have bad Wi-Fi? So, um, yeah. First of all, you have to make sure that the Wi-Fi is turned on, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's when you have to, the, the biology of belief where Bruce Lipton are talking about. Yeah. Whether it turn on this way or turn on that way, is our belief system affected? Epigenetics, right? And so, yeah, the signs are talking about I think we have to shake off our very stubborn tradition. Yes. And our fear of institutional non-existence, almost like the fear of our own death. Well, there is no rebirth without death. Yes. And you know what? It's impossible to have resurrection without death, which is rebirth, right. of course. But. So, Absolutely. So, so, so that these, these, uh, you know, I mean, even you look at today in America, politician is not in charge. It's this institutional inertia who's in charge of America today. 
And and so when um, going back to you know Nora saying, well, the Wi-Fi has to be plugged in. In order to do that, we engage in intentional practice. And I think that's so much of the work that you and Erwin and Chris, um, among others, are doing, is to actually create both the practice and the communities in which to have that iron on iron um, support of one another. And within that support accountability to that growing up and waking up that we might show well, up. Well, the community together. is actually the first step, okay? Mm-hmm. The community, right? Whether you call it uh, Jesus, Bible, Church, or you call it Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, is the same system, yeah. right? We still have to help each other to grow. Uh, the, the, the only issue is this institutional inertia, this fear, this stubbornness, this, 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 like, yeah, stubbornness and close-mindedness. Right? Do they have to hold on to the word, but and cannot go beyond the dogma? So you know what's interesting? I don't experience that in my twenty-four-year-old um, daughter or her boyfriend, um, and she had to grow up with not one but two pastors, and um, her father, mother, and father, and and her boyfriend's father is a Anglican priest, but they would describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. And they actually are deeply committed um, to creation care, to that connection with the cosmos, um, to understanding that they cannot be whole without collaboration, without um, that uh, interdisciplinary um, work of bringing all the different ideas and systems together to, to live in a beautiful, complex, expression of what it means to be fully alive. So I have well, Deborah, hope. Yeah, we, but Deborah, number one, that's why he's a dawn of the new era. Look at you. With this family of origin like this. <laughs> there we go. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. You got pasta to things like that. They get children to do things like that. Yeah. And it's also the new era. Era of awakening and pure spirituality beyond religious boundary, but embrace all religious essence. You know what I say often, and it doesn't matter what the context. I will say for such a time as this, we have been called and we are entrusted with the responsibility of laying the foundation for the next thousand years. So let us do so with intention and humility, and collaboration. Maybe more than a thousand years. The first EXO era lasted 2005. And this is the massive second EXO era of human spirituality awakening. It could last a lot longer than 2,500 years. Then we really need to be intentional and conscious. Absolutely. We are beginning a thing that could be 25,000 years. I love that. These sound like concluding words to this episode. If uh, Deborah, would you like to add anything to that? Um, Or Fred? Um, 
please let me know. Just a nice conclusion for today's episode. Uh, you know, for me, it is just a privilege to be here. And it is a confirmation that we really are moving um, into a, a major leap, a new place, a new level of consciousness. So I just want to thank all of you for the extraordinary work you're doing and the opportunity to be here today. Thank you. Fred? Well, I want to thank Deborah for her open-mindedness um, and really championing this thing beyond the, the, the dogma, beyond just Christianity yeah. and to pure human spirituality itself. And I'm sure that, you know, more pastor of this movement as it built will bring up about religious transformation. In fact, I'm sure it will happen because nobody can fight a new era. Mm. But somebody has a champion to shape the new era. Okay. Deborah, salute to you. And to you. Stewarding, <laughs> stewarding this movement. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Deborah, would it be possible to end this podcast with a blessing or a prayer from you? Like something that the audience would be able to receive when they are listening to this episode and just take with them along the way. Is that something that you can do for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it go, I go back to the words, the old Celtic words that I began with. May the strength of source pilot us, the power of source uphold us, and the wisdom of source guide us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deborah. That was beautiful. What a compelling note to end this episode on. I am Nora Cizar with our hosts, Irvi Laszlo and Frederick Zell, thanking today's very special guest, Deborah Ranlet, and our worldwide audience, as well as our wonderful production team, which I am happy to be a part of, led by Kenichi Sugihara, Tai Sugi, and those many others at the Octave Institute and the Laszlo Institute. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, this is the place to tune in. We invite you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast, as well as to give the book Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing as a gift to yourself or to a loved one. It's a true companion for these challenging times. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, this time when building that new paradigm for humankind, Let's include human kindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for listening. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, the Octave Institute, and Select Books Publishers. Our theme music is Chimera by Biba Dupont. For more information about Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, please visit our website at www.thelasloinstitute.com.
if you enjoy our program, please remember to subscribe to us on your podcast service. And if you are using Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating to help other listeners learn about our show. See you next time.